Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now it is time for sports news for December 3rd. And your reader is Clark Kibito. As a reminder, Radio Eye is a reading service intended for people who are blind other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. Championship Weekend Preview. Will TCU or USC make it to the college football playoff? Bill Connolly, ESPN staff writer. When November began, Ohio State, Tennessee, and Clemson were all unbeaten. Oklahoma State and Wake Forest were in the AP Top 10, and Syracuse was 16th. For SP+, Ohio State had a 65% chance of winning the Big Ten East. Alabama was 58% chance to win the SEC West. As it always does, November scrambled their expectations. Of the teams that began the month in the AP Top 25, only four skated through unbeaten, and those four, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC, are all on the cusp of college football playoff bids. UGA and Michigan will likely get in regardless of what happens on championship weekend, but we'll pass out two more CFP bids and 10 FPS conference trophies. The weekend will also give us a couple of makeup games, including the first ever hastily scheduled Valparaiso New Mexico State game, the SWAC championship, and what is sure to be a huge load of wonderful nonsense in the small school playoffs. Here's everything you need to follow during a unique and consequential championship weekend. What's changed since USC-Utah won and TCU-KSU won? With USC and potentially TCU needing to win to secure playoff bids, this week's two most important title games are rematches of two of the most enjoyable games of the regular season, Utah 43, USC 42, and TCU 38, Kansas State 28. Who were the key players in those October outcomes? More importantly, what's changed since those games? The answers will determine who makes the college football playoff. Let's take a look. Pac-12 championship, number 4 USC versus number 11 Utah. For most of USC, Utah won. It felt like Kyle Whittingham's Utes were scrambling to keep up. USC had taken a 14-0 lead just 10 minutes in, and while Utah tied the game early in the third quarter, the Utes played the middle of the game perfectly, scoring with 30 seconds left in the first half and scoring the first drive of the second. USC took the lead back one minute later and held it into the fourth quarter. Utah quarterback Cam Rising tied the game with his second rushing score with 10.55 left. However, we were in the in-game scenario. USC drove 90 yards to take a 42-35 lead. Utah responded with a 75-yard, 5 minute and 27 second long drive that culminated with Rising's third touchdown with 48 seconds left. Then he gave the Utes a lead with a two-point conversion and the Utah defense pressured USC quarterback Caleb Williams well enough to stop the Trojans short of field goal range. As strange as it feels to say considering Williams is probably about to win the Heisman, Utah won the game via the pass. Rising went 30 for 44 with 415 yards and was rarely pressured. His primary target, Dalton Kincaid, might have produced the greatest tight end performance ever. 16 targets, 
16 catches, 234 yards. Five of those receptions and an extra defensive pass interference penalty came on Utah's two late touchdown drives. Williams had plenty of success, throwing for 381 yards and five touchdowns, scrambling twice for 55 and 17 yards. But the Utes were able to pressure him constantly, sacking him four times and forcing him into lower percentage downfield throws. Teams aren't going to stop Williams. USC scored 42 points, after all, but Utah came up huge in key moments. There were 28 total third and fourth down conversion attempts, and Utah won 15 of them. If the Utes had only won 14, USC would probably be unbeaten and playing Washington on Friday night. As is customary in boxing, after a classic first fight, the two competitors head to Vegas for the rematch. In this case, they're both in pretty good form, too. USC was wobbly after the loss, barely getting past two of the Pac-12's worst teams, before rallying to handle ranked UCLA and Notre Dame. The Trojans' offense, second in SP+, has exceeded their projections for six straight weeks, but the defense has also underachieved for six straight. When Lincoln Riley moved from Oklahoma to USC, he brought with him both his quarterback and the fantastic offense, fantastically bad defense vibes that he made multiple CFP runs with. Williams has been at Mahomesian of late, keeping the pocket a plume and dancing around until a player comes open for a big gain. Running back Travis Dye was lost the season for injury, but ultra-physical fellow transfer Austin Jones rushed 46 times for 274 yards and two scores against UCLA and Notre Dame. Utah's primarily played to projection since the USC game. Rising was injured in the Utes' trip to Washington State and played horribly against Oregon, but the Utes still won the former game and nearly won the latter. They've averaged 50 points against Arizona, Stanford, and Colorado. They've only allowed 17 points per game since USC, an average that includes four garbage-time TDs by Arizona and Colorado. The Utah run defense is improving dramatically. USC was the third straight opponent to gain at least 170 rushing yards on the Utes, but only one has topped even 65 yards since. Utah is ranked 45th in defensive SP+, after the first USC game, but has risen to 21st. Utah's biggest weakness remains big plays. The Utes don't make enough of them, and plus their aggressive defense can allow a few too many. USC had 10 gains of 20-plus yards in their first matchup, while Utah managed only 6. But the Utes won in part because they suffered just one negative play to USC 7. They probably can't count on Kincaid to come through in such a ridiculous way again, but if their improved defense can load up on tackles for loss, they'll give themselves a great chance to prevent USC from securing its first college football playoff bid. Big 12 Championship, TCU number 3 versus number 10, K-State. It seems almost certain that USC's CFB hopes hinge on winning in Vegas on Friday. The Trojans fall to Utah again, 11-1 Ohio State, watching from its proverbial sofa in Columbus, will be in great shape to snare a bid. The picture for TCU is a bit blurrier. We don't know exactly where the line is. It will be determined in part by whether USC wins. But if the Horned Frogs suffer their first loss in the season in a tight game in Jerry World on Saturday afternoon, there's a solid chance they'll still get in the playoff. If they get blown out, however, that might be a different story. The last time these teams played on October 22nd in Fort Worth, it looked like it might be a Kansas State blowout for quite a while. The Wildcats' plans went awry almost immediately. Quarterback Adrian Martinez was injured on the first drive, and after a 65-yard touchdown pass from Max Dugan to Darius Davis, Will Howard came in for his first snaps of the season, already down 7 to nothing. 
Howard had played parts of each of the past two seasons, but the plan was to redshirt him while Martinez manned the battle stations in 2022. Howard came out firing. A TCU defense prepared for Martinez's running and conservative passing was caught flat-footed as Howard completed passes of 28, 28, 25, 37, 26, and 20 yards and led the Wildcats to four straight touchdowns. Deuce Vaughn's 47-yard sprint up the middle made it 28-10 KSU midway through the second quarter. The Horned Frogs' unbeaten run was about to come at the end in unexpected hands. At that point, Howard was 8 for 10 for 185 yards. He went just 5 for 10 from 40 from there. He got dinged up in the second half and threw two picks. KSU's Chris Tennant missed a pair of longish field goals as the Wildcats went scoreless for the final two and a half quarters. As has been customary in 2022, TCU's relentless offense kept attacking and finally broke through, scoring touchdowns on four of five drives. Quentin Johnson's 55-yard catch gave the Frogs the lead, and Kendra Miller's nine-yard run made it a 38-28 final. TCU's run has continued. The Hypnotoads pulled similar absorb blows, then ease ahead routine against West Virginia and Texas Tech. They gutted out tight road slugfest against Texas and Baylor. Last week against Iowa State, they finally made life easy on themselves, surging early and blowing out the disappointing Cyclone 62-14. By this point, the Frogs know that if they keep throwing haymakers, they're going to eventually land some. They averaged 6.4 gains of 20-plus yards per game and 3.3 gains of 30-plus, second in the country. They've enjoyed a flurry of three touchdowns in consecutive drives and for at least three TDs in four drives and in 10 of 12 games. The Big 12's ridiculous depth means they have beaten five teams ranked 31st or better in SP Plus and ranked first in ESPN's strength of record measure, but now comes maybe their toughest test. Kansas State was already doing well the first time these teams played. Chris Kleinman's Wildcats were 5-1 and one and 17th in SP Plus at the time, with only an upset loss to Tulane, marring a strong resume. Martinez was playing really well. He remains 29th in total QBR. His legs were key to Kansas State's 41-34 win at Oklahoma. Howard's success, combined with another Martinez injury, made redshirting Howard impossible. The Wildcats lost 34-27 to Texas with Martinez in the lineup, but in four other games with Howard against Oklahoma State, Baylor, West Virginia, and Kansas, they averaged 6.2 yards per play and won by an average score of 44-15. TCU beat those same four opponents by an average of 38, but to 33 points. In going from Martinez to Howard, K-State has sacrificed extra rushing prowess for downfield passing. The receiver trio of Malik Knowles, Phillip Brooks, and Cade Warner is averaging an extra 0.5 yards per catch and 20 yards per game with Howard, and tight ends Ben Sennett and Sammy Wheeler have become major weapons, averaging 19 yards per catch with five touchdowns. The first game between TCU and KSU was like two blowouts in one, which is almost odd considering how similar the teams are at this point. Both are solid from an efficiency standpoint on both offense and defense. Both offenses are among the most explosive in the country. Both teams dominate field position. Both defenses struggle in the red zone. There are differences, of course. TCU has the more reliable place kicker. K-State's return game is terrifying. And the Wildcats run the ball more while TCU mixes in even more horizontal passing. K-State's best pass rusher, but this is a remarkably even game on paper. A best-of-seven series would likely go to full seven, but the second game is all that matters, and this one could go in too many directions to count.
Current line TCU minus 2.5. SP plus projection TCU by 2.9. FBI projection TCU by 1.3. What does a huge title game upset look like? We're slowly moving towards a divisionless universe in college football. The Pac-12 ditched its north-south structure this season, which are now down to six conferences with division. More will follow soon, including the ACC next year. RIP Coastal Division. The benefits of such approach are pretty clear. For one thing, it's harder to clinch a spot in the conference title game weeks in advance as Georgia and LSU in the SEC and Clemson and North Carolina in the ACC. Races are more likely to go down to the wire like the Pac-12s. We didn't know who was in the Pac-12 championship until the final game of Rivalry Week ended. There's another benefit to ditching divisions, though. The title game matchups end up better. Using SP Plus rankings within each conference, we see the Pac-12 is putting the number one team against number two, while the Big 12 is one versus three, Conference USA one versus four, AAC two versus three all came pretty close. For conferences with divisions, it was more of a crapshoot. We did get one versus two in the MAC and a no one versus three in the Mountain West, but it's one versus five in the SEC, one versus six in the ACC, two seven in the Sun Belt. 1-9 in the Big Ten. For conferences with divisions, the average spread for title games this week is 9.1 points. For conferences without divisions, it's 4.4. One thing ditching divisions also does, however, is to privacy the romantic notion of big upsets in title games. The title game era began with some doozies in the Big 12. Texas over Nebraska in 96, A&M over K-State in 98, Cased it over Oklahoma in 03, but those appear to be bygone days. Only one double-digit underdog has won a conference championship in the past decade, Ball State over Buffalo in the MAC in 2020, and it hasn't happened in a power conference since 2005. Divisions aren't dead yet, though. We've got a couple of major upset opportunities on Saturday. They might not affect the CFP race. But it's highly likely that number one Georgia and number two Michigan are in regardless of Saturday's results. But let's walk through the SEC and Big Ten championship games just see how a big upset could play out, just in case. SEC championship, number one Georgia versus number 14 LSU. November indeed has a way of separating the wheat from the chaff. LSU was up to fifth in the CFP rankings last week, but the computers never really viewed Brian Kelly's Tigers playoff caliber team. They peaked at 13th in SP Plus and 9th in FPI, so fate struck, handling a banged-up LSU squad, a 38-23 loss to A&M in College Station. Fate struck Clemson in a similar way against South Carolina. Injuries are dealing the Tigers a particularly difficult hand. Maybe LSU's most vital players when it comes to upsetting Georgia are both battling to play Saturday. Quarterback Jaden Daniels suffered an ankle sprain against A&M, while cornerback Jarek Bernard Converse missed the A&M game with concussion symptoms. Daniels had practiced this week, and Kelly said Thursday that he would play. Bernard Converse's status remains questionable, but Kelly expressed optimism earlier in the week. This is the best I could do to craft an upset script for the Tigers. At least one that goes beyond the typical special teams and turnover disasters create something wild script that applies to virtually any game. 1. LSU mans up. Beyond the general attention that span issues defending national championships often battle, Something Georgia was definitely dealing with in closer-than-expected games against Kent State at Missouri. The closest thing was the dogs have a weakness that this season has come out wide. Sophomore Ladd McConkey is the only Georgia wide receiver to have caught even 25 passes this season. 
Injuries and inexperience have rendered Georgia's wide receivers inconsistent overall. While quarterback Stetson Bennett has plenty of excellent moments throwing the tight ends, Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, and running back Kenny McIntosh, when your wideouts aren't thriving, you probably aren't making a ton of big plays. Georgia averages 2.2 gains of 30-plus yards per game, 50th in the FBS, and has only 10 gains of 40-plus all season, 82nd. Explosiveness has been an issue, but Georgia has remained extremely efficient, both because of Bennett's accuracy and the quality of his tight ends, and because of how good he is against zone defenses. Georgia has faced less man defense than most. 29% of its passes have come against man, six fewest in the FBS, and Bennett averages 9.7 yards per drop back against zone, fifth best. Bennett averages only 6.7 yards per drop back against man, however, 51st overall. When Bernard Converse is healthy and available, LSU plays some of the better and more frequent man defense in the country. Even with all of Georgia's uniquely awesome weapons, the dogs can bog down if teams force the receivers to make plays. LSU's run defense is pretty average, but its pass rush had some bite on passing downs, and quote, Bennett gets pressured and has to throw the ball away into coverage on 3rd and 7. Could be a way that LSU keeps Georgia off the scoreboard a few times. Number 2. Georgia settles for field goals. Red zone failures have been part of many upsets through the years, and Georgia leaves itself a bit vulnerable by being pretty average in this regard. Despite an ultra-efficient run game, the Dogs score touchdowns in just 65% of red zone trips, and LSU allows them on just 43%. LSU can bend quite a bit if it can avoid breaking. Number 3. Jaden Daniels goes full Jaden Daniels. Daniels is not the best quarterback in the country, but he is unique. As I've written multiple times in this season, any offense Daniels is in becomes the Jaden Daniels offense because of his unique and frequent scrambling ability. He's been excellent for a large portion of the season, completing 69% of his mostly short passes and rushing for 824 yards and 11 touchdowns. Teams can't get a good hit on him because of his slippery nature. He's averaging 3.4 yards per carry after the first contact. And in fact, trying to contain him can fry your brain a bit. Just ask Alabama, which sacked him six times, but also gave up 58 rushing yards on scrambles, including a 31-yarder on a key late third and five. If Daniels and Bernard Converse are close to full strength and playing really well, LSU could make this one messy. But it will take some bounces and some heroics for the Tigers to take the dogs down. Current line, dogs minus 17.5, up from 17 on Sunday. SP Plus projection, dogs by 19. FBI, dogs by 13.5. Big Ten Championship. Number two, Michigan versus Purdue. I'm not going to lie, even acknowledging injuries, the fact that Georgia is favored by more than Michigan really confuses me. If SP Plus and FBI were used to create lines, the SC Championship would be listed at about 16.5, but the Big Ten game would be closer to Michigan minus three touchdowns. The Wolverines' offense has definitely been bitten hard by the injury bug, led of course by what turned out to be a season-ending knee injury suffered by running back Blake Corum two weeks ago. They still have star running back Donovan Edwards, which has nailed Ohio State for 530 yards and 45 points without quorum. At 8 and 4 and 47th in SP Plus, Purdue is one of the worst teams ever to reach a Power Conference championship game. The Boilermakers lost to division rivals Iowa and Wisconsin by a combined 59 to 27, but went 4 and 1 in one-score finishes in the Big Ten to finish 6 and 3 in the conference and eke out their first West title. It was a cool moment, and I'm happy their fans got to experience it before the West Division appears likely to disappear in coming years. But it would take something massive for them to score an upset. Luckily, no one does massive like Purdue. 
The Boilermakers beat number two Iowa 24 7 as 11 point underdogs last season. They beat number two Ohio State 49 20 as 12.5 point underdogs in 2018. They beat number seven Ohio State as 13.5 dogs in 09. Number four Kansas State, number 12 Notre Dame. It's in Purdue's DNA to randomly outlandish things to superior teams. The Boilermakers will still probably lose big, mind you, but here's how another Purdue upset might take shape. 1. Aiden O'Connell remains upright. Michigan ranks 7th in the nation in passing down sack rate. Purdue ranks 8th in passing down sack rate allowed. The Boilermakers have a uniquely frustrating offense to attack because of their quick passing nature. A trio of Charlie Jones, TJ Sheffield, and tight end Payne Durham is combined for 82 third and fourth down receptions for 925 yards and 5 touchdowns. If they can frustrate Michigan's defense and keep moving the chains, deeper opportunities for both Jones and Sheffield could begin to open up down the line. Purdue scores touchdowns and Michigan kicks field goals. Again, this is a common upset theme, but a necessary one. Purdue's offense ranks 23rd in red zone touchdown rate, while Michigan ranks 49th. Granted, the Michigan defense ranks better than Purdue's, but this is something the Boilers have to exploit, and it wouldn't be the most outlandish thing in the world if they did it. Bruising Purdue back Devin Mokabe averages 2.9 yards per carry after contact and is an excellent mover of the first down chains. He could come in handy here. Number three, the turnover fairy favors the underdogs. Turnovers are indeed an upset constant, but I mention this here because the turnover fairy has been awfully kind to Michigan and very mean to Purdue. The Wolverines have recovered 57% of fumbles and Purdue only 41%. While Michigan's opponents have intercepted only three Wolverines passes this season, They've broken up 33. The typical ratio of picks to passes broken up is about 1 to 5, suggests that Michigan's J.J. McCarthy should have thrown 4 or 5 more picks than he has. Regression of the mean can strike at any time, and if it does Saturday, Purdue's offense rises, odds, excuse me, rises significantly. My favorite bets. I stopped the bleeding last week. After a painful couple of weeks in the best bet department, I went 3 and 2 to inch back up to 55% overall for the season. But with so few games on the docket this week, I didn't find five picks I really liked. But here are three. Michigan minus 16.5 versus Purdue. Am I daring fate to do something off the wall in Indianapolis? Possibly. But I trust the Wolverines team to bring the A game. Troy minus 8.5 versus Coastal Carolina. There's a slight chance that injured Coastal quarterback Grayson McCall returns, but appears slight. Troy hasn't lost in September, and without McCall, the chance clears have underachieved SP Plus projections by 8 points in a tight win over Southern Miss and by 36 points in a blowout loss to James Madison. SP Plus says Troy by 10, and that's all I need to hear. Boise State minus 3 over Fresno State. Fresno State has averaged 39 points per game with 5 wins since quarterback Jay Kaner returned from injury. Both of the teams appear to be the best version of themselves at the moment. But I lean Boise because of the Broncos' defense, by far the best unit in this game, they're up to 8th in points allowed per drive and 27th in defensive SP+. That should make the difference. Championship Weekend Playlist There aren't many games left, but here's the rest of the FBS slate for your information and entertainment needs. MAC Championship Toledo vs. Ohio Ohio has overachieved SP projections for eight straight games and continued doing so last week after losing starter quarterback Nathan Rourke 
while Toledo has underachieved for five straight, both with and without injured quarterback Daquan Finn. Finker returns Saturday. Is it enough to reverse the trend? Sunbelt Championship, Coastal Carolina at Troy. Speaking of injured quarterbacks, I'd be shocked if Grayson McCall is actually available to play, or at least play well. This won't be interesting, if only to see Troy can finish the job. The Trojans have ignited in John Summerall's first season, and with the division title on the line, laid down the hammer late against Arkansas State last week. AAC Championship, number 22 UCF, and number 18 Tulane. UCF bolted to an early lead and won against Tulane a few weeks ago. Since then, however, the Knights lost to Navy and nearly lost to South Florida. Tulane stomped SMU, won at Cincy, and kept head coach Willie Fritz after advances from Georgia Tech. If trends are a thing, they favor the green wave. Current line, Tulane by 4, up from 3, SP Plus projection, Tulane by 4.6, FBI projection, Tulane by 3.2. Valparaiso at New Mexico State. NMSU blew out Liberty last week to get to 5-6, and six, then got a waiver to schedule this game to replace an earlier cancellation and actually get its seniors a senior day. And with the cancellation, the Aggies also applied and received a waiver from the NCAA to make them bowl eligible this week. They'll bowl for only the second time since 1960. Everything's coming up, Aggies. Mountain West Championship. Fresno State at Boise State. Fresno State has won seven in a row, and Boise State has won seven of eight since making an offensive coordinator and quarterback change back in September. The Midwest Valley Conference has been a disappointment this season, but these teams are playing good football. ACC Championship, number nine Clemson versus number 23 North Carolina. One of the most anticlimactic conference title games in recent memory. Clemson has lost two of four, and UNC has lost two in a row since clinching the Coastal Division. Both teams' quarterbacks were awful last week. This game is less about matchups and more about who rebounds to play well. Smaller School Showcase The smaller school playoffs are here, and there's so much to keep up with. Break that laptop out and keep tabs on some of these. You won't regret it. Division II quarterbacks, number 5, Ferris State, and number 1, Grand Valley State. One of the biggest rivalries in Division II produced one of the best regular season games of the year, a 22-21 road win for number two, GVSU, or no, for number one, FSU, and now we get the rematch. Winner moves on to the semis and becomes the default national title favorite. SP Plus projection, GVSU, 26.6, Ferris State, 24.6. Division Three quarterfinals, Aurora at number 12, Wartburg. Division three is generally top-heavy, but here comes a massive opportunity for two programs that have never reached the semifinals. Unbeaten Wartburg, upset St. John's last weekend, is probably the better team here, but not by much. SP Plus projection, Wartburg 32.5, Rora 28.1. FCS round of 16, number 17 Montana, and number 4 North Dakota State. NDSU has not played typical NDSU standards this season. The Bison have lost twice. Twice, but watch them catch fire and win the whole thing anyway. SP Plus projection, North Dakota State 34, Montana 31. SWAC Championship, Southern at number 5, Jackson State. 
Bigger schools continue to sniff around and remind us that Deion Sanders might not be coaching in the HBCU universe much longer, so let's take a moment to admire the powerhouse he has built in Jackson State in less than two years. Something would have to pull off a massive upset to keep the Tigers from their second straight SWAC title. NAI semifinals, number 12 Kaiser at number 2 Grandview, Iowa. Like Division III, NAI tends to be pretty top-heavy, so when a team takes down two of the top four seeds, Doug Show as Kaiser Seahawks have, it's a feat worth celebrating. Of course, they might have to beat two more to win the title. This wraps it up for Sports News. Your reader has been Clark Kibito. Thank you for listening, and now please stay tuned for continued programming on Radio I. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.